0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Just a quick warning to say the following episode does contain some strong language, which some listeners may find offensive. Thanks and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to You Really Shouldn't Have with me, James Warwick, the podcast where each episode I sit down with a different guest as we discuss their career and unwrap the story on the worst gift they've ever been given. Joining me on this episode is stand-up comedian, musician and actor Phil Nichol. We touch on Phil's incredible career and he unwraps the story on the worst gift he's ever been given. So Phil, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me on.
1: That's really nice. Thanks,
0: James. Really looking forward to, to, to having a chat with you all about your career. And, and of course, the bad gifts, yeah. which, which we'll get to right, yes. right near the end. But I wanted to go right back to the beginning because, I mean, you really are a guy oh. of, of many talents. I mean, you know, comedy, music, acting, a, a, a career that spans across several, several decades as well. But oh, I, thank want, you. I wanted to go back <laughs> to the beginning because I know you were born in Scotland, but obviously grew up in Canada. But yes. was performing always something, you know, that interested you from quite an early age? well um i mean yeah yes and no um i i mean i was i was
1: born into this sort of uh quite devout uh, born again christian family in as as part of the brethren assembly uh and so although we would sing in church and stuff like that i wasn't i wasn't really allowed to i, I was I wasn't allo- not allowed to but we didn't really watch much secular um television or or what or listen to music and stuff as generally generally as much as possible christian stuff um and i i just discovered uh, when I was like around 14, that you could like sneak Christian rock albums out of the house and then replace, take the albums out of the sleeve <laughs> and then replace it with like the clashes Sandinista. And then I'd come home and I'd put Sandinista on the turntable, uh, put the Phil Keggy Resurrection Band album cover on the side table and then put the headphones on. My mom would knock on the door and think I was listening to Phil Keggy Resurrection Band. I'd be like, yes. My dad; he was a bank robber. So that was kind of the beginning of it for me. Uh, when I realized, and I, I went to um, high school, and there was a theater program there. And uh, Frank Luke, who was probably the most uh, important teacher in my life, um, d- thought that I just had some natural abilities. I was, I was, I was a, I was a, um, odd kid. <laughs> I was an odd kid. I, I had a clinical stutter and a lisp until I was about 11 years of age oh, wow. and, and I and I'd moved from Scotland to Canada and then moved back to Scotland and then moved back to Canada. And then within between the ages of nine and 11, had gone to like three or four different schools and another two different schools. So uh, I, I didn't speak very, very well. And I've got a little bit of a stutter now, as you can hear. So all these things kind of came sort of came at the same time where I was finally able to speak correctly. And and I and I thought, um, yeah, I really like this acting stuff. So, um I was kind of like one of those I was probably one of those annoying children <laughs> in high school, it was like the, the 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 acting guy that everyone knew and I was like writing plays and directing shows and and one of the one of the shows was about us. It was about our high school, called High School Confidential. And I was playing myself, basically. And that show went to the Nash, to the Sears Drama Festival nationally. Uh-huh. And I won a Best Actor award when I was like fifteen or something like that. Nice. So that that at that point, part of the prize of the of, with that that came with our school getting one being one of the best plays is we got to do a workshop with Keith Johnson. Who's the guy that famously wrote the book Impro? He sort of is the man that developed the whole theater sports world. And I did the I did the session with them with the whole the whole um, play did all the all the actors. And he and at lunch he came over to me and with Mr. Luke and went, Have you done this before? And I was like, No, I just I'm just doing what you asked me to do. And he went, Here's a name, number for Aubrey Schreiber who runs the theater sports in Toronto. Uh, if you think you'd enjoy that, we we run workshops. And I went down with my friend Barry Davis. And Nick Johns, who for a time there, was the head of Second City in Chicago, he went on to become an improviser and and uh, and that was how, that's kind of how I got started I, I did theater sports and, and um, went to acting school
0: and I guess your first real sort of drop in the ocean, if you like, in the comedy world was as part of Corky and the Juice pigs yes so i I wondered how the project came about in the first place uh,
1: well the I mean Corky and the juice Pigs were. Uh, the, there was originally a guy called Joe Costa and Sean Cullen, who was in the, the the group with me for years, and I were living in a university house at we were we were at the School of Dramatic Art, which is like a an acting school, and we were living in a university house, uh, which meant it was really cheap rent. But two of the guys we were living with actually dropped out of university, and not told anyone. They were selling weed oh, and man. had a punk had a punk band called ba- da- Daisy's Hot Butt Spots. Uh, <laughs> that they used to play in the back room with Canadian houses have like these sort of back porches and they had all their dr- drum equipment set up there and so we we didn't have any heating on uh we had a dog called Daisy who had hot butt spots <laughs> and uh <laughs> and we and we, we we saw this ad in the paper for um Labatt's uh, is the big brewery in Canada Labatt's Blue is probably the biggest beer in Canada's Labatt's and Molson's and they had they were pushing this new beer called Labatt's schooner which is like from the east coast up the schooner being a ship they're uh, into universities and they had a university-led contest like um like a so you think you're funny type thing that went around across the universities and we we just on the ad it had little dollar signs in the corners it was like a shitty ad in a in the school newspaper the lancet and we went we went wow guys we could win some we could win some money (laughs) doing this and maybe maybe not you know not have to um eat like tuned uh, canned tuna and uh so we entered we we got together the night before and we just we went right what are we going to do what i call the colors so i think we spent most of the time deciding what the name was going to be <laughs> and and less of the time figuring out what the actual <laughs> material like we did like a punk version of the flintstones that, that was like uh but we won there and then we the, the 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 prize for that was to end up on television with um uh you know all the other acts and that was sort of like my first we kind of went from that to um that's how it started really yeah and i and i left university i went into a into a shakespearean acting company uh, center stage which is like the we did the tempest in the park and it was like it's called the dream in the park but they were doing the tempest which is like the Regent's park theater Uh in london so i went into that and while this on the mondays when the stage was Dark when there's no show, we would go down to Yuck Yuck's comedy club, uh, and we did it. I think we did it the first night, and we, we did we went so well that then the the manager came up and said, "Can you guys come back next week?" And we're going to put you on last. And then the next that we did that, and we it went so well the next week. Mark Breslin, who owns the place, came back and and watched us. We they gave us sort of like a headline slot, even though we weren't being paid. That was the third week, and on the fourth week, Mark Breslin they gave us they they gave us a little bit of money, and then on the Tuesday. He had us into his office and said, uh, how much time can you guys do? And we lied and said, oh, half an hour, 40 minutes. <laughs> we had like seven minutes. We were doing jokes like the Weebles wobble. Do you guys have Weebles here? Those little things, eggs that don't fall down? They're like, Oh, I think so. Like yeah, a, I know what Like you a mean. kid's toy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had, we had a routine. Like, Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. You can push them, you can shove them, but you just can't get them down. We're like, Weebles on a yacht. We were like, standing still. You know, dumb, really dumb. Um, But we were, so we were headlining within, we were headlining Yuck Yucks within like months of doing professional comedy. I'd never been in a comedy club before. So, yeah. And then within two years, we had appeared on the Dudley Moore comedy club special with Dudley Moore.
0: And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty fast and exciting. (laughs) And then how did the transition go from you being part of that group to doing solo standup? Because I imagine that was quite a transition for you personally, from being part of a a group, if you like, to suddenly being... Out there on your own, yeah. Well, I'll be I mean, honest with you. It was absolutely hellish. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: was really hellish because we'd gone from at the end of the ten years we'd been like one of the you know we we'd been nominated for the Perry Award. We were selling the Hippodrome in, in um in Edinburgh like eight hundred seats. And we were traveling around the world from australia to all the festivals to uh you know had been across canada ten times had a development deal with the walt disney company and were had appeared on mad tv on the fox networks was like the other sketch show there's saturday night live and then there's mad tv and we i went from that to my my um my marriage sadly fell apart as did my friend greg Neal, who's was in the group with me Actually, on the same weekend, our wives left us oh, on the same weekend. No they hadn't planned it. <laughs> oh, wow! And then about and then about a month and a half later, the juice pigs broke up. uh So in like the space of a couple of months, one summer, I lost, you know, my wife, my two closest friends. I lost about seven of my best friends. Uh, not dead, but just didn't. <clears> you know, it all, the whole thing fell apart. And I moved to Britain, and I. And I actually had to do, I did a gig at the, my um, Noel Faulkner who ran the comedy cafe, offered me two weekends in a row because he really loved me and the Courtney Juice Pigs. Is that in um, shortage? In shortage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, I was actually, and the, and the support act that weekend, the first weekend was Ed Byrne. Oh, really? (laughs) So I went on, Ed Byrne goes on, he's like, Ed Byrne used to be our support act. So he couldn't, he felt bad putting me on before him. (laughs) But I went on and I stiffed it so badly that um, he said, look, I I don't think, you know, here's, I'm gonna pay you for next week, Mm. but don't come back. (laughs) And that was, so he paid me on the Friday, he paid me for the Saturday and the next weekend. And that was my beginning. That was my Ouch. my start in stand up comedy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I mean, yeah. having done stand up now for, for, for so many years, and obviously, you know, things things did get, did get better. I wondered if you had a favourite venue in the UK that you play regularly. And and then you got I guess I guess that was maybe the worst gift or worst geek, geek story or is is there a worse gig than the uh, than the comedy cafe? <laughs> well,
1: that it was. You know what? That wasn't even really a bad gig because the gig is nice, and uh-huh. I just wasn't prepared. I just wasn't ready to do solo stand up, and even with ten years of experience, I mean, I got away with it. But it wasn't. Mm. He couldn't have me on. Um, my favorite venue in Britain. Well. I mean, there are some amazing venues in Britain. The stand comedy clubs are uh-huh. phenomenal. Uh, the Edinburgh ones, classic. The Glasgow ones, my home. I'm I'm from Glasgow, so that's one of my favorite places to play. Uh, the Glee clubs, the Glee in Birmingham, they've been a huge support to me, and it's one of them. As a stand comedian, one of the greatest venues in the world, and then of course the London Comedy Store, which is, which is just you know, absolutely phenomenal. Um, but you know like uh, i mean it really depends i i had I, d- I did the hot water club recently um oh in liverpool it, it, in liverpool yeah and it it's, it was just one of the best for me personally the, the audience is really up close it's it's a bit like the store in london uh the audience is up close it's got a really low ceiling and um that was one of the best gigs i've had i've had of late um amongst i'm not just saying to make it sound like i've had killer gigs <laughs> they're, they're up and they're, they're up and down obviously but um yeah, those those would be those would be the venues. But I do like the I like the Slaughterhouse in Liverpool. I like. I mean, s- comedy is so alive and thriving in Britain. Um, mm, there are amazing. There are amazing venues everywhere. Yeah,
0: I um, wanted to talk about um, so sort of the changes in material, if you like, because when when I was sort of doing some research into you, when you when you pop your name into YouTube, one of the first things that comes up is uh, a bit you did at the Comedy Store, actually, having, having just mentioned the yeah. Comedy Store there about uh, political correctness. So I think you did a little song called "You Can't Say That to Me." You get that to, to me, and, yeah. And I just wondered how. I mean, I know you know cancel culture and things like that, which I'm I'm not too you know I don't really believe in it as as such. But I guess over right. the thirty years you've been doing stand up, there's there's things you maybe wrote in the mid nineties that you're like, oh, I couldn't say that now. Well, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Well, I mean, what, when you say
1: you don't believe can- cancel culture, do you mean that you don't think cancel culture exists, or you? I mean, think- it, it
0: exists. I don't. I don't believe in it as such. So you know, I, yeah. I, I think yeah. you know. Certainly, with stand-up comedy, it, it's an exp- It's an art form, right? It's an expression. You know? Yeah. It, just yes. because you say something on stage doesn't necessarily mean that's what you believe. Sometimes you can be exaggerating it for comedic effect.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. A, it's. A, I mean, it's a, it's a deep subject, but of course, you you could put you can portray Hitler in a film. Uh huh. <laughs> right and no one has a problem with that yeah but you put you put a comedy context on it suddenly we're being bad mm. we're not we're not allowed to not allowed to discuss that subject like that and i think it's quite sad because comedy is able to discuss the darkest uh parts of the shine a light in the darkest corners of the human in you know psyche and and talk about those things and i i i i'm always been someone that's ex- tried to express those things and my my whole, my heartfelt belief is that you, we all have th- these dark thoughts running through us and that to express them as a comedian allows people to laugh at them, which is allows us to, to um, you know, get our minds around them and to release, to get rid of them. That's just, but that's I mean, you know, not everyone may believe that. Uh-huh. I'm also quite liberal in a sense. that I do think we need to protect the the, 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 the rights uh of other people to feel free of of uh any kind of uh, and uh, you know um any kind of fear or or being being picked on or any kind of antagonism towards Absolutely. towards towards their so it, it's, it's a tricky subject and i i'm i'm working on a box set of material of mp3s i've got about 13 13 mp3s i'm putting together called my comedy body and it's basically recordings of live shows and a couple of things that are already on online of of a big bigger pieces and it's just the audio and i've had to listen back through to all of it and there are times in it and i'm not sure how i'm going to approach it but there are times in it where i've used wording that i wouldn't use or i've used words that are no longer uh um acceptable acceptable but the thing is I'm trying to, it's hard because I didn't, at the time, I wouldn't, if I was to rewrite those bits, there would be ways of rewriting them that would, I'd be able to try and caveat that. Uh, comedy used to be a lot more ruthless. Uh-huh. And comedy comedy has, especially in this country, comedy has a punk ethic. It came out of the 1980s and Alexei Sales and, you uh, know, that whole group of people were working on a level where they're trying to bring down uh bring down bring up the working classes and bring down the well the, what we're seeing now is the the aristocracy and, and or people that are the the elites that are, that you know rich the billionaires yeah and um so I, I i stand by almost everything that i say but it's so easy to take things out of context and not to you know i don't think you can look at an artist and go that one corner of that one picture offends me therefore I don't want any of that person's artwork ever seen anywhere. And I think that's, I think that's, I hope I'm not held to that. Like I, I you know, it, you, it's hard, it's hard to use. It's only a joke. And well, if you knew me, then, you know, it's, these aren't excuses that are allowed anymore. Yeah. And, uh, but I think if you're going to criticize someone for some a little tiny clip you've seen on something yeah. then you really deserve
0: to go and look at their entire body of work. Do you think design. do you think sometimes people are, are going out there purposely to to look for something to be offended by?
1: Well, yeah, I mean troll culture, mm. it's where it starts with troll culture, but I think troll culture has become so pervasive that I think I, I think there's a a type of person, a, a mean type of person that is trying to correct other people. My natural feeling towards that would be that uh, those are the people that people that are pointing at everyone else are I've got a huge number of skeletons in their closet, and and almost always we end up catching them out, and yeah. they and it's like it's like a red flag if someone's going calling people out because they're trying to not have you look at them. That's
0: a sweeping generalisation. Mm. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, we could go on for hours on, on this topic. To be honest, it, it's such a broad really, topic. It's but- a- Mm. but I really just wanted to wanted to touch on that and, and get your opinion on that which which is great I think people take comedians far too seriously and, oh, and we and
1: I don't want to have an opinion on it ah. uh, you know like uh, I will have an opinion on it if I get pulled up on Twitter for something and it's me personally then I'll have an opinion on it but sure. I, I don't you know uh, Will Smith slapping Chris Rock that only affects me as a comedian because I don't want to get slapped on stage for something (laughs) I've said but as far as what between the two people nothing to do with me none of my business whatsoever
0: understood no that's that's great Yeah, you touched on Edinburgh earlier some of your favourite venues to play being in in Edinburgh and I wanted to touch on the festival I've never actually been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival it's on my list of things to do it's on my bucket list but I know you've played many many times of course also the Perrier Award winner in 2006 so I just wanted to get you know your overall thoughts on, on, on some of the great times you've had up there? Well,
1: uh, oh gosh, James. I mean, it's it's been a huge part of my life. Sure. I mean, I went from 1990, I think was my first one. And I've lost track of how many I've only taken, uh, well, minus the, the, the last two years have been a bit messed up. So I, yeah, I yeah. Only before that, I only had two off. Uh, in fact, I got in a taxi on the way, going into Edinburgh once, and I got in a taxi where the taxi driver, a Scottish guy said, I told him what I just said to you, and he went, "Well, oh, you, you've spent over two and a half years of your life in Edinburgh." I'd say you're, you're a local, right? <laughs> and I was going, "Yeah, that's, that's probably true." I love the, I love the arts, I love the arts like there's nothing else. I don't, I'm not really, you know, I don't really get involved in religion because of my background. I think art is, and it sounds really, I, I, I used to feel really, cheesy saying it, but art is, art and artistic thought. And free thinking is the thing that's going to save humankind. So, and I know it sounds cheesy, like, no, I don't, you know, and that you go to down the the main street of Edinburgh, you see people dancing around dressed as frogs and stuff. You think, oh, really, (laughs) Phil, this is going to save mankind. But it's, but it's the, it's it's a, it's a, it's an iceberg, isn't it? It's the arts is so deep and entrenched in everything we do and if i look around my flat you look around your flat even behind you've got a baby drive poster that's that's a baby drive that's that's art you know that's the whole thing and and for edinburgh to have that for edinburgh to support that and drive it is vastly important not just to the culture of of the uk but what it does for the world it's it's a beating heart and i uh, so I support it fully. At the same time, I think the comedy uh, side of Edinburgh has become so commercial. It's uh, run by gatekeepers. It's really hard to um, uh, to to break into comedy the way it used to be. Uh, you could go there and get discovered. And I don't mm-hmm. think that really happens much anymore. Oh. Almost anyone that goes up there is already known. They already known. They're already pegged. They usually signed to someone, and it's just become a bit of a corporate. A a corporate festival but that said there is the free fringe and there is some really brilliant comedians uh, working in both the paid fringe in the big four venues and the free fringe and the new like little fringy venues like like the monkey barrel which is like taking over Um, so if you're an artist if you're a comedian a singer a dancer any if you have any interest in any of the performing arts and you're and you're in the uk and you've don't and you've got the money to go to edinburgh even for a day or two and you don't do it you're missing a (laughs) trick so you you should go
0: i will i'm gonna add it's it's on it's been on my list for many years i will i will definitely make a point of going up there yeah well you could do this up there you could go up and interview people that's there's an idea for there's an idea i never thought of now you, you pointed out the poster that's behind my head and I see there's a poster behind, behind your head that leads me yeah. nicely onto my next question, which is, of course, you were part of the original West End cast of Everybody's Talking About Jamie. And I know you've yes. done a lot of theatre and musicals before you did Taboo as well, the Boy George musical. I, but I know you played um, the drag queen in the in the Everybody's Talking About Jamie. And I imagine with a character like that, you can have a lot of fun with it. It must have been a great experience. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I was so lucky to be cast in that Um, You know, due to my relationship with Nika Burns, who uh, runs NIMAX Theatres or is NIMAX Theatres and the producer of that said musical, uh, she was also she's also been a huge figure in comedy in Edinburgh by running the Perry Awards or the Edinburgh Comedy Awards. And uh, before that, her history goes deep into her because she used to work with the, all the improv guys, so Paul Merton and uh, Steve uh-huh. Frost and all the improv guys. Her, her career was back. In fact, I think uh, she began her career as, as a dancer. Anyway, uh, my relationship with her and she's produced a couple of plays that I've been in, led me to being asked to audition for the part. And I took it really seriously. <laughs> and it's such a brilliant musical uh, I was really chuffed. I was chuffed to get in it. And it's been on, still going, I think. It's on, mm, tour. on tour. It was, just came back from LA. Um, I, I may come back into the West End. I think there might be plans for it coming back in 2023. Nothing that I've definite that I've heard, but, that, but I'm not, not on the production team. Um, I would do it again <laughs> in a heartbeat. Um, it was one of the best four years of my life. I mean, it was, I was sort of in and out of it for the last four years. In fact, I, I was in it again just before it went on tour the last time so hopefully they'll have me back
0: i hope so now you've got yeah. a couple of projects coming up which i wanted to talk about first one being actually at the comedy store we were talking about the comedy store just earlier the yeah. cray cray yeah. cabaret yes let us Second, know all about the cray cray cabaret
1: cray cray cabaret is a, a show that we developed in edinburgh uh with beth o'brien and uh, my dear friend the late paul um paul burn and um Uh, with Beck Hill and it was it's the idea is to try and get comedians I just think a lot of comedians love to sing and we want to be kind of rock stars I think it's kind of a known thing comedians want to be rock stars and a lot of them are very musical and you don't know it and some of them are musical and you do know it so we put together a show called the Craig Craig Cabaret to highlight comedians having a laugh singing funny songs uh it's high energy and we we we've developed the show up in Edinburgh, and we brought it down to the comedy store. It's the second Wednesday of every month. Uh, they've given me a residency there. I've got David Timms and the Bigish Band. David Timms is a a brilliant musical director who is a songwriter who works with people like Mike Chapman, you know, from Chapman and Chin, who wrote like Blondie songs and simply the best. And so uh, David's a world class musician uh, and a top top guy and uh we have special guests great guests this coming up you know we've had um rich hall and uh shepard chris sandy yeah. oh, the list goes on i can't even think of <laughs> them all um it's so much fun it's so much fun and it's the comedy store in london is just sort of really shaking up uh their their what they're doing there and we're a part of it and they're you know they're they're just sort of that 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 room is so
0: perfect for the show um It's a must. You you really I can't I can't tell you how much fun it is. You should come. Fantastic. And of course, a podcast of your own as well, the second series of your very popular podcast Songs in the Key of Laugh, which I think is a a great title in itself. Tell us a bit more about the show.
1: Well, again, that's David and I, uh, David Timms, who's also the Cray Cray music director. He lives around the corner from me during the lockdown. I was he was going running and I was going I was going for long walks. And we, we just sort of passed each other once or twice. And then we were at a bus stop. We were, I was sat down and he ra- ran up and went, uh, is this part of your exercise? And we kind of got <laughs> to talking. Uh, then we said, well, should we go for a walk? So we went for a long walk. Uh, he fell over in the mud. It made me laugh hysterically. <laughs> <laughs> and then by the end of that walk, he, had said, he said, why don't we do a podcast? And then the podcast uh, which we did songs the key of laugh uh we started developing the podcast idea it's it's really it's the second series is becoming so sweet the uh, we interview musical comedians we talk about musical comedy we talk about how music and comedy are sort of ubiquitous in um in our day-to-day lives every worldwide everyone knows always look on the bright side of life by monty python that you could probably sing that to to you know natives in the, the the Amazon and they probably would know it. It's, yeah. that, it, it's that kind of thing. And we, so we just wanted to celebrate what is often a scorned uh, part of the comedy art form, which is musical comedy. So that's what that is. And that comes out every Wednesday, every single Wednesday. And we're in a second series. Uh, the series opened with Adam Buxton. And in the last series, we had Tim Minchin and Harry Hill. Uh, Izzy Sooty's on this one. Uh, Rialina. So it's a, it's just a... A gentle, fun celebration of music and comedy, and we and we run a contest, a comedy song contest, uh, which has been really successful um and every week we play the winner of the week we the, the the submission of the week and at the end of the 10 episodes we have a special episode where we play them all and we pick one to win and two runners up and there's some prize money and so if you write comedy songs send them to songs in the key of laugh at gmail.com and enter our songs in the key of laugh comedy song contest
0: Phil, we've reached yeah. the part of the show where I have to ask you, what is the worst oh, gift God. you've ever been given? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, see, it's funny. I, you know what? I
1: try to think, I haven't ever been really given anything that I wasn't grateful for. I mean, growing up, we, we didn't have a lot of money. I'd, you know, my, my dad would make, he was a carpenter, he'd make toys for us, but they're always really, looking back, it's really wholesome and lovely. Mm-hmm. I think at the time I was thinking, oh, I've got a wooden plane. My friends all got these electric planes that lights flash on. But actually, once the battery dies, it's, they're all just the same anyway. Sure, so, that's a good but, way of looking but, at it. Yeah, you know, and and we, we we were we were my dad wouldn't even buy a Christmas tree because he didn't want to waste the money on it. So he just we put all our presents under a pine a pine coffee tail, and he said, "Oh, that's a that wishes to be a tree anyway." So <laughs> I love my dad for that. Um, but the thing that I was thought of. Which became a bad present was I was once given a pair of red underwear okay. by my by my therapist. I wasn't whose, whose expecting name, that who, bit. <laughs> whose, whose, whose name I won't say. Of course, uh, who's a lovely man. He's I uh, think it must be in his eighties. Um, he's been doing therapy for many many years. And on, he had come to see my show, The Naked Racist, and he had brought another one of his clients. And his other client that he introduced me to was working for NASA, so he's a NASA scientist. And at the end of The Naked Racist, I take my clothes off because I'm. it's a show about a true story about five hours in Amsterdam, where I end up the show by chasing Nazi skinheads through the streets of Amsterdam while high on magic mushrooms. And I illustrate the show, illustrate the piece. It's, a, it's an anti-war piece, Show, so I ended up being naked. What I saw them after they came to see it at the Soho Theater. Uh, I was in the main theater at the Soho Theater for ten days. It was all sold out, and I asked them what they thought of the of the show. And the NASA Scientist went, "You need new underwear, right?" So that was a bit of a gig. I said, "What? You're that's that's my, how you that's the whole show. You've seen a whole show. I think I need new underwear. So for a laugh, right? On Valentine's Day, he got me a little box that said." Be, be my valentine and a card which he didn't sign because i said i looked at the card so you haven't signed it and he said well i opened the he goes well you don't sign a valentine's day card that's we don't when back in my day so i opened the little box and there was some red underwear in it i was like oh that's weird. he was no it's from it's nasa it's been made <laughs> It's what the astronauts wear. It's like oh shit! It's, it's se- se- seamless. It's seamless and it doesn't scratch. And I was like, oh, that's very funny. Ha ha ha! <laughs> Didn't think about it. Came home, uh, threw it on the bed, gathered my stuff up, went out. Uh, I was living with my girlfriend at the time. I went out and she was gonna. I was gonna come home from. I think I was doing the comedy store. She was gonna come home after me. So on the way home, I uh, stopped at a friend of mine's on the way home. I, I, they actually called me and said, "Look, we're having a party. Can you bring some bottles of wine?" So I went around to my friends, having some drinks, and uh, my phone rang. And I didn't see it because my phone was in my other pocket. And then my phone rang again. So by the time I got, I went. I wonder if my girlfriend's called me. It was like, "Oh, there's 13 missed calls." Oh. So, so the, I'm listening to the messages, and they go from being like, "Hey Phil, how are you?" "Just I'm I'm gonna be home a bit early." uh see you soon bye and then hey phil uh yeah just i'm just on the way up there now see you in a bit but like hey phil i'm home are you okay where are you but hey phil uh where are you because i've got home early and you're not here but and then just got like progressively more like where are you <laughs> and i was and i was like oh no so i found it amusing because i wasn't doing anything wrong particularly i just had stopped so mm. um she rang me while i was listening to the messages in front of my friends and and basically said get home now and i was like no no i'm not going to do that <laughs> uh, in fact i was a bit annoyed because i thought this is funny i was i was laughing and she was angry she was really angry i was like hey, why are you so angry so i i, I I'm a bit I'm a bit naughty of me but i don't go home right away i just i tell my friends we all can go don't worry about it we all kind of have a bit of a giggle it's just someone miscommunicating <laughs> i get home i crawl into bed it's all very quiet don't wake her up. She rolls over. I wake up in the morning and she's got the red underwear in her hand, shaking the other bed, going, who the <laughs> fuck gave you these? And I was like, what? I'm like opening my eyes, going, who the fuck gave you these? And I was like, oh no. and I start laughing, she's like, that's funny for you, is it? Who's and she's holding the card, going, who the hell? And I was going, no, those are from my therapist. Those are from those are, you know they're you know they're she's like, he's he's an eight-year-old man. I, said, I know, but it's look, there's and she goes, she goes, I don't believe it start going no it is because I came to the show and I try to tell her the story that I told you and she's like I don't believe you she's like Reese. she's so angry though that you can kind of see that she does believe me but she can't allow herself to believe me so she like throws the the red underwear at me and throws the card down and storms out the house. Right, so I'm like, oh no, this is ridiculous. Like I can't, I can't let my 80 year old therapist be the responsible for breaking up my long term <laughs> My long term relationship. <laughs> but I'm a bit of an idiot, and I'll admit that because what I did is I called my therapist and he said, uh, can you call her? You know, and he was like, no, it's not professional. It's it's not. To the thing is, what had happened was I was actually for Val. I was going to wake up on Valentine's Day, and I was going to. I, I bought us. I was going off to the Alps to do some gigs, and I bought her a flight. So we were, we were going to go and spend a week in the Alps with me working. Yeah. And I didn't get a chance to say to her oh. that. Oh. So 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 I, he was, he went. Well, just call her and tell her that. And I was like, okay. So I hang up from him. And I, was, I called her up and she's like, hang on a minute. Oh, she, she's furious. Hang on a minute. I'm gonna pull my car over I'm going to talk to. Pulls her car over. He's like, what? And I was like, I just wanted to say that I got us, I, you know, we were go, I'm going out to the Alps. I bought you a flight. And I was going to give that to your Valentine's Day. Um, but I've just spoken to a, my therapist. And he's got a lovely little chalet up on the other side of Maribon. He's wondering if you and I wanted to come and, come and stay with them." She's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> And I'm I'm like, I'm just such a jerk. I'm such a jerk. It was, because I knew that it wasn't actually, there was nothing wrong. And it was just, it was really, really not, it wasn't very nice. I apologize to her for teasing her. Um, But that was kind of the way our relationship went. So that was, that was probably, that was a bad day. And when she got home.
0: It sounds it. And
1: I'll be honest with you. I didn't wear that underwear (laughs) for the longest time until after we've actually we broke up shortly thereafter and even then the underwear gives me ptsd (laughs) (laughs) but just so you know still seeing the therapist
0: so that's okay it's okay (laughs) they're not wearing the underwear no i've never shown him Phil, to wrap up, I got a couple of questions I ask everyone that comes on the show. If you could go back to your childhood okay. and rescue something, you, a gift you yeah. had as a kid but you don't have now, what would you go back and Ooh. rescue? Oh, you know, I'll say the first thing that came to my mind.
1: My mum went when we lived in Canada. My mum and dad used to go down to Georgia and Florida uh, on holidays, and my mum brought back a little ceramic hand like that, like a little hand, and it had chewing gum holder, because I used to chew so much gum when I was growing <laughs> up that my, 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 I spent a lot of money on gum. I spent a lot of money on gum. And so what I would do is i chew the gum. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you can save your gum. Mm-hmm. Like say you say your juicy fruit gum, chew, chew the gum, you can, if you if you leave it somewhere and it dries out, when you chew it the next day, some of the flavor comes back because the flavor kind of goes at the outside. You might not know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, yeah. but 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 we we weren't a very well off, family, got so it? they yeah. didn't want to spend all the money. So my mom got me a chewing gum holder that you so I could have like I'd have a big wad of gum like because what I would keep adding more flavor. <laughs> oh, so okay. I'd, so I'd have like a big, big so like, roll it into yeah. so roll into a ball like a gum stopper and leave it on the chewing gum holder. That's 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 the first thing that
0: came to mind. Nice. <laughs> I, I, this is going to make me sound nuts to, to your to your audience, but. And if you could go back to the beginning of your comedy career and give yes. yourself a gift to help to get where you are now, what gift would you give yourself?
1: Oh man, uh, I what do you want? Me, I, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I the the gift of uh, a gift of uh, f- uh, foresight. <laughs> I give myself the gift of foresight. I've I've had, I've had like a real lovely. My life is is absolutely charmed, and I would not change a thing. But um, I have been really let down, uh, deeply let down by some of my dearest comedy friends. Um, some of the guys that I went to university with. Uh, If you know my work, you'll know what I'm talking about. And more recently, one of my my closest comedy friends uh, was an absolute letdown, not just to me, but almost anyone that knew him. And I wish that I had the
0: gift of foresight that I would would have avoided him like the plague. (laughs) (laughs) And Phil, finally, where can people find out more about you and what you do?
1: Well, I've got my website, philnickel.com, which I find hard to keep updated. But if you want to see uh, hear the Songs in the Key of Laugh comedy podcast, it's at songsinthekeyoflaugh.com or you can find it on Acast. Um, and it's in our second series. There's lots of uh, back catalogue to listen to, uh, and we have Patreon and coffee if you want to help support the podcast. And if you want to come and see the Cray Cray Cabaret, that is every uh, second Wednesday of every month at the Comedy Store in London. And look out, keep an eye out for my box set, uh, Phil Nichols Comedy Body, which will be
0: coming out momentarily. Fantastic, Phil. It's been so great to chat with you. Thanks so much for stopping by the show. Thanks, James. Thanks again for listening to this episode of You Really Shouldn't Have. Be sure to subscribe to us on your chosen podcast service to make sure you never miss another episode. You can find us on both Twitter and Instagram at BadGiftsPod as well as online at BadGiftsPod.com.